Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey, hello, and happy giveaway winner announcement day. Yay! Okay, yeah, so that's not an official, like, federal day to celebrate. It's not an actual holiday, but today I'm going to be announcing the winners of the Celebrate 150 Episodes giveaway, so stay tuned and keep listening for that. And we're on to the next book in the Bible, Leviticus, in this series where we're just working our way through every single one of the 66 books of the Bible, and we're taking a deep dive look at a promise from each book. So here we are in book number three, Leviticus. This is a good one, a really good one. Like it's it's a powerful faith building kind of hunk of promises in today's passage that I'm going to read today. So I'm ready if you are. Okay, let's go. You're listening to the Burt Not Ernie Show, part of the Spark Network, now playing in the Edify app. Today's episode is sponsored by Carrie Beck's Homeschool Superheroes Summit. This is an online summit for homeschool families that will bless, equip, and encourage those who have chosen the home education lifestyle. And, you know, as an aside, I've got to say, as a homeschool parent of all five of our kids, it is a lifestyle. So if you know somebody who's homeschooling and you could pass this along to them, like this access to a free ticket via the link that I'm going to put right at the top of the show notes, it really could make a huge difference for them because it's not dealing with just like, say, math. It's dealing with the lifestyle of home education. Uh, And I'm super blessed to be the prayer coordinator for this event. I'm going to be hosting a live prayer room each day of the summit at 12 noon central time. And I would love to be able to connect with you there and pray for you like in real time. So feel free to sign up for that free ticket. And there is an option to, of course, make a purchase that allows you to have like lifetime access. So you'll see that at that little link there. But um, even if you buy the the all access pass, (laughs) you're getting a ridiculous value. Trust me on this one. So um, I just, I would love to connect with you in the prayer room if you might be interested in that. So feel free to sign up, share this with anybody you know who might be interested. And a big thanks to Carrie for hosting this event year after year after year. She really does a great job and she loves her people so, so well. All right, on with the show. This is episode number 153. Okay, Leviticus chapter 26. This is like a promise chapter. And in the New Living Translation, the little header is entitled God's Promises for Those Who Keep His Laws. So it's not just me saying this is a promise chapter. It's a promise chapter. It's like that's the title that it bears. So, um, but you know, God's promises, they play pretty predominantly in Leviticus 26, like very predominantly in this entire chapter. Some people, they don't read the book of Leviticus all that often. They feel like it's just like 
I don't, you know, boring or not relevant to them as a Christian or hard to push through. Boring isn't really the right word. Hard to push through, like you're muddling through. It's just on your checklist. But if you look at it through the lens of thinking about Jesus and how he fulfilled what was written in Leviticus, it really does change the way you read the book. And if you pray before you read and ask the Lord to show you what he wants you to see from that exact part of his word, you're going to see some things. You're going to be reading it in a different light. Okay, so, um, you know, we're under the new covenant. I'm going to share a little disclaimer here. We're under the new covenant. Thank you, Jesus. And I surely do mean that. I mean that, like, thank you, Jesus. So we don't have to function the same way that the religious leaders or the legalists did think in Jesus' time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were all about the law. We live by faith. We have a living hope. Isn't that wonderful? And we are under grace. We're recipients of tremendous mercy. Like, I don't know. It's not, you can't estimate. It's, it's the amount of mercy that we have received. We're never really going to grasp it. It's certainly not in this life. It's tremendous mercy that we receive daily and have been receiving since we bent the knee and received Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, that doesn't mean we're out like sinning wildly. We're not grace abusers. We're not, you know, I can just do whatever I want because I'm under grace and I receive mercy. No, no, we're not grace abusers. We're not bratty children of the Most High God. That doesn't honor him. So we're not, not at all. That's not who we are. We're just not legalists. So I'm going to let you in on something. And, you know, a lot of you probably already know this. So it may not be a surprise to you, more like just a, a refresher, a reminder. The devil, he's a legalist. The devil is a legalist. If he can find a way to gain some sort of legal access, like he's got permission, he has been given access, a door has been opened, I guess you might say. I don't totally know um, how, you know, like, I'm not saying that that's like completely uh, biblical as far as opening doors, but I am saying that uh, because you could be like a person who is um, really pretty intent on careful about what you watch. You're not setting before your eyes any vile thing. You're, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're in the word, you're in prayer, you're prayed up. He's a legalist. So you may not have like flung a door wide open and said, come on in Satan, but he could be looking for cracks that he can weasel in. You know, does that make sense? Like when they say a mouse can get in your house through a hole that's the size of like a pencil they can squeeze through, he can squeeze in that way. So think of that when I say an open door, he just wants access. And sometimes we give him access and sometimes he just pushes his way in. But you can count on the fact that he's always trying to find a way to get in where he can legally get in. If the mouse can get in through the hole in your house, they didn't break in. They squeezed in through an opening. He's a legalist. And he's always looking for a way to invade and push into your life. Like, And, he's, and he will take full advantage of any and every opportunity that he seizes. And he is always prowling around seeking whom he may devour. So we need to be like aware, wearing the armor of God, prayed up, not unaware of his schemes, but, you know, believers who actually believe that what the Bible says is true. And that includes what it tells us about our enemy, the devil. And, you know, it is an invasion. He's not going to stay politely in the guest suite. You know what I mean? Invaders, they invade. They're not usually super polite and courteous about it. Anywhere that he can start to build a stronghold, man, he wants to do that. 
He is a destroyer for sure, but he is a legalist. So he wants a legal reason to get all up into your business and to start building that stronghold and wrecking on your life. If he can do it legally, if he can do it legally, like by some access that, uh, you know, he, he can be there legally, he's going to do that. It's, it, I know it may sound like something that you haven't heard before. Maybe you've heard this a lot, but I want you to think about in terms of like Satan is when the Bible tells us he's the accuser of the brethren, that day and night he is accusing them before the Father. That's him being a legalist. Look, this is your person. Think of what he did with Job. This is your person? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what. Now, with Job, it was a little different because Job hadn't sinned and he dealt with so much. But still, Satan was trying to be like, let me, can we just pour it on here? Let me pour it on. Job's life. And let's just see when he cracks. And then I can come back and say, see, see what your child did. That's what he's doing when he's standing before the the father accusing us. He's not accusing us based on uh, random willy nilly stuff. He's not. He's accusing us based on things that we have done wrong, according to God's standard, the word. Okay, so that's why it's important for us to have the mindset that I don't have to live and die by, um, did I do enough right? Am I doing enough right? Like, that's us being a, being a legalist. And we don't want to be legalists because Satan is a legalist. That was defeated at Calvary. We just want to be the type of people who are quick to repent. Take those things to the Lord. Repent of them and receive fully his forgiveness. So what this actually looks like for us in real life is like if Satan can get you to be a legalist, to be religious more than you have a relationship with the Lord, that's a good start for the devil and he'll take that all day long. He would love it for all of God's children to have our own set of adaptations and additions to God's word because that's really what happens when you start focusing on a checklist of right and wrong and do's and don'ts. It is just like the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jesus' day. They had their adaptations and additions. The Ten Commandments grew to more than 600 rules and regulations per their adaptations and additions. So if Satan can't get you to be like, if he can't keep you out of the kingdom, if he can't keep you from meeting Jesus, Right, so this is for believers. I'm talking about disciples of Christ here. Then he's going to put some serious effort into turning you into a legalist. And then, as Jesus said, what happens is we end up judging others inside and outside of the church, all the way around. And, you know, some things in our own life, we'll let those slide. We'll let them slide. We leave wiggle room for our own life, you know, because uh, really we're doing pretty good at following all these rules. And this over here is just such a hard situation. And I've got stress and I need to be able to have some sort of an outlet. You know, it's not a big deal if I'm if I'm cursing now and then or if I'm, you know, if I'm watching stuff I shouldn't be watching, uh, even if it's just like you think of movies when you know, like, this is not a God-honoring movie, I need to not be watching this, okay, but I've had a stressful week, so I'm going to watch it anyway. That kind of thing, like, we give ourselves grace when we become legalists, that we don't, we don't give wiggle room to other people. The grace is for us. It's not for them. That's a good mark of a legalist. When the grace is for you personally, but it's not for anybody else, that's legalism. Uh, we feel like we're doing a good job following the rules, but the rules, they might be based on or even loosely based on the Bible, but the grace, it just dissipates. It's gone. Like I said, you can give it to yourself. You give yourself a pass under the guise of grace and not hold yourself accountable and not let anybody else hold you accountable. Legalists don't like to do that. They're the ones 
that know right and wrong, not you, right? Think about some of the conversations Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day. We know what's right. Who do you think you are? You know, we make the rules. I know the law. Okay, right. He dealt with that. We deal with that. The verbiage is different, but we still deal with that. And any one of us has the propensity to become just like that. So we want to stay in a place of grace and remember what the new covenant obtained for us. It's much more than just being a rule follower. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm so thankful for that. The grace can dissipate for a legalist. It does dissipate, actually. And the do's versus the don'ts spring up in the place where grace ought to be. And then it becomes really easy to judge, judge, judge everybody else all the time by that set of rules and adaptations. But it's a sliding scale. We so easily see that little tiny splinter in somebody else's eye. And we just got to yank it out and straighten them up help them to see what they can't see clearly. But actually, we can't see clearly because we have a two by four jutting out of our skull. And it might be time to just yell, timber, regarding that hunk of wood obstructing our own view. Cut it down, rip it out, ask the Holy Spirit for grace in place of legalism, and kick the enemy out by revoking his legal access to our lives. If he can get at you legally, he will. He will. He is, after all, As I said earlier, the accuser of the brethren, that's you and me, my friend. We're the ones he's accusing, and he's not going to be different than who he actually is. Who the Bible tells us Satan is, that's who he is. He is standing before the Father day and night accusing us. When you live and walk and exist by grace, and you stand by grace alone, you know that your righteousness is all because of Jesus, and there is zero percent anything that has to do with you, that your role in all of this is just to continually surrender, submit, bend the knee to the Lord, and just receive his grace and know that a quick repentance leads to a quicker, like a sort of restoration in your fellowship with the Lord, uh, knowing that and even saying out loud at times that you are clean because of the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb has made you clean. That's how you tell the devil he's overstayed his welcome. Time to go. Kick him out of the guest suite. Bye-bye. Okay, I hope that that's encouraging to somebody listening today. Your freedom in Christ is a big deal. Don't trade it in for legalism. Leviticus 26 verses 3 through 11 from the New Living Translation say this, This is what I will do if you will live by my laws and carefully obey my commands. Now remember, we're not under the law now. We're under the new covenant, but it still is about, are you going to live the Jesus way? Think of it that way. Are you going to live the Jesus way? or not. Here's what he promises, if you will. I will give you rain at the right time. The land will produce its crops and the trees in the field will produce their fruit. Threshing time will last until grape gathering. That's a big deal. That's a huge promise. And grape gathering will last until planting. You will eat all you want and live securely in your land. Anybody else want to live securely at this moment in time? I know I sure do. I will bring peace to your land. You will lie down with no one to scare you. I will remove dangerous animals and there will be no war in your land. You will chase your enemies and you will defeat them. Five of you will chase a hundred of them and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 of them. You will defeat your enemies and I will be pleased with you. Your families will be large and I will keep my promises to you. You will clear out old food supplies to make room for new ones. I will put my tent among you, and I will never look at you with disgust. So I will live among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God. 
I brought you out of Egypt so that you are no longer slaves of the Egyptians. I have broken their power over you and made you live as a free people. Okay, yeah, this is awesome. This is an awesome passage from the book of Leviticus. And we can apply this to our lives as disciples of Jesus. Because the Old Testament, if we look and if we pay attention, it's always, always pointing toward Jesus. What can we learn about God's promises for us under the new covenant from this passage. What can we learn here? First, we see that God loves us enough to warn us of the evil that is after us. And he is so kind, he tells us about the opposite too. He promises provision. He uses the words at the right time. That should alleviate our stress. His timing is perfect. At the right time, he's going to take care of things. He is a good and faithful provider. He really truly is. Somebody might need to hear that today as a reminder. God is a good and faithful provider. You're God who loves you so much. He is a good and faithful provider, and he's going to be that for you. Do you need to trust him more and maybe believe him better in the area of provision? Possibly. You know, if so, you are for sure not alone. I'll tell you that straight up. God goes on here in this passage to promise peace and protection. So I guess you've got three Ps, provision, peace, and protection. He mentions wild and dangerous animals. He mentions war in their land and that they would chase their enemies and defeat them. Look, you and I are probably not dealing with wild and dangerous animals, but that's what they were going to be facing. And so he gave them a promise for that. Can you just believe by faith that God is going to take care of you with whatever the situation might be? It's probably not going to be wild, dangerous animals. However, whatever it is, he's got you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to give you what you need, which is going to be provision, peace, and protection, because we need those things. We need those things. As followers of Jesus living on earth, not yet to our actual real home, we're just kind of travelers here. We're pilgrims. We really are. We need provision and peace and protection, and our God has promised to give it to us and defeating our enemies. So not just like escaping by the skin of your teeth, but defeating them. This is a good promise. Let's look at this spiritually. We know that that uh, based on what Paul told us about who we fight, who our actual enemy is, we are, we're not fighting like actual people. We're fighting principalities and dark forces in the spiritual realm. That's who we're really at war with. Can we believe, based on Leviticus 26, that God will allow us to defeat our enemies? Like, spiritually speaking, can we actually believe that? The answer is, it should be a bold, strong yes. That's the promise. That's the truth. The only one that can, then, the only person, the only individual, the only one that can make this not true for you is you, really, by doubt and unbelief and just saying, I just don't believe it. I don't see it. Hey, your faith will not become sight until later. Right now, you've got to live by faith, not by sight, not demanding that your faith be sight. Like, don't don't think like, if I can see it, then I'll believe it. That's not faith. God really wants to strengthen you and toughen you up and make you more dependent on him and more believing of him, not because he's mean, but because that's maturity. And also because, quite frankly, that's what's going to get you the blessings in heaven, in eternity, when you get your rewards when the stuff that was useless gets burned up. He actually cares about what stuff of yours gets burned up. That's why it's mentioned so often in the New Testament. Jesus talked a lot about um, about this kind of thing, if we'll just search for it. Like we're living for what comes next. We're not living for right now. So sometimes the hard spots that we're in, it's about God actually giving us an opportunity to store up some treasure in heaven. He's making a way for it to be possible for us to not 
live uh, eternally with like less than he wants us to have. So accept that sometimes hard times are going to be there to make you mature, but that doesn't mean that you, that you have necessarily, um, you're not on the, like on God's naughty list. He's not Santa Claus. Let's put it that way. But at the same time, even as you're maturing, this promise is true for you. Provision, peace, and protection. You don't have to take it on the chin and get kicked around because you think that's God maturing you. No, no. God's promises are true. They always will be true. And so you will have the victory through Christ Jesus. The victory is yes and amen. I mean, that's the promise and that the promise holds the victory. It's like, that's what we get as followers of Christ. However, expect to have situations come up where you have to, by faith, choose to believe what God has promised you because, as Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Is he going to find faith in you and in me? That faith is what's going to win the day. It's incredibly important. Jesus could not do many miracles like he could do few. Like, it couldn't do very many. He couldn't do many. He could do few in certain places because of their unbelief and their lack of faith. The faith test is a key part of any trial that you're going through. I want to encourage you to look up, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and just believe. Just believe. And if you need to do that a hundred times a day, then by golly, you do it. Because um, I'm giving you permission. Like, I'm handing you a permission slip right now. You have permission to believe God a hundred times a day on that same exact issue if you need to. If it's a hundred thousand times a day, you do it. You're not ever going to regret full in full tilt faith in Jesus and, and the promises in the word of God. So, okay, we can believe that um, that this is just going to prove true for us. All of Leviticus 26. Now, there is one snippet in here. You know, should we really believe that we'll never have war in our own personal land? You know, that comes... That kind of promise comes with like a nationwide type of blessing, a nationwide obedience. And Israel, those are, that's his nation. Those are his chosen people. Uh, he, God literally created that nation and didn't do it just once, did it twice. Pretty amazing to think about. Only God can do what has been done in Israel since like 1948. This is, it's miraculous and it's totally according to what the word of God said would happen. So should we be like, well, I don't think we're ever going to have war in the United States. I don't know. Look, we're not a nation that's all full tilt sold out for Jesus. Should you pray for our country? You better believe it. Should you ask God to do the miraculous? Because, you know, we have a lot of sinfulness going on in this country and it is miraculous every day that we're not annihilated, um, honestly, is it's just grace and it's miraculous. So should you pray, you better believe it, but get, make sure that you remember that we are the grafted in Gentiles. I am not Jewish. I don't have the same degree of, of promise as God's special possession that Israel has. And it's okay to know that because it helps me to live more humbly, which is never a bad thing to be humble before the Lord to be prayerful and to just remember that I'm, we're Christians above and beyond all else, right? We're Christ followers first. I'm a citizen of heaven. And so I was born in America. I happen to be a Christian who was born in America. This is just where I was born. Being American cannot be, should not be, must not be the most important thing about me as a follower of Jesus. I have to love him first and most. I really do. And that sometimes even goes to a place of challenging, like, um, I personally, uh, by personal conviction, I do not pledge my allegiance to a flag. My allegiance is given only to the one true king. 
that's that doesn't mean I um, don't like the the sacrifices made by our military. My father is buried in a military cemetery. My husband served for twenty two and a half years. Uh, my kids and I we went through the deployments. We you know I know what it's like to be an officer's wife. So um, that that isn't the two are not necessarily diametrically opposed and sometimes makes me sad that we've gotten to a place where they're so enmeshed that we fail to realize that you can actually have full and total allegiance just to Jesus and still be you know an honorable um, citizen of your country and you can be well aware of and thankful for the sacrifices that our military had made okay that was a long aside but that's just a way of saying Jesus is our everything and the country we're born in I mean, if you're born in China, you've got a whole nother bag of stuff handed to you. If you were born in Russia, your life is very different than being born in America. Like at some point we should pause and say our enemy really is the actual enemy. And it's easy to get misfocused to be like, I hate all Afghanis because of September 11th. That is not where we want to go. That is not a good place to go. That's not a godly place to go. So I want to encourage you to, to, if you are in that boat with me, um, I, I guess maybe you get me. If you've never thought about this before, I'm sorry if I'm if I feel like I'm being a little bit too preachy, but it really is important to remember your citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is first because there can be a tug of war at times. Is it, it right now? It, of course, it's Jesus first, but today it's America first. Well, it's got to be Jesus first. It really he doesn't he does not share his glory with another. The God of heaven's armies is not going to move off his throne and he's never going to budge. He's never going to change. He demands total allegiance and annihilation of all other idols and gods, no matter what they are, no matter how good they might seem. So be aware of that. Okay. That was a long aside. I hope you hear my heart and that, that it is based on what the Bible says and not based on what Jan thinks, because it doesn't matter what I think. It literally matters zero. What I think it matters completely what the Bible says. What God thinks is what matters. So you and I were citizens of heaven. Our love for Jesus has to be far above and beyond the place we live. In this current age, I don't know that God is necessarily breaking a promise to us if war were to break out, if it came to our nation. You know what I mean? We don't fulfill the criteria of living in a God-honoring, godly nation. We have so much heartbreaking, vile sin in the United States, the attacks on our children alone are enough to just horrify people who have not been just hardened in their hearts and desensitized to the base sin that's happening. So, you know, maybe a great place to start in our prayer for our country should be for revival, that millions upon millions would have Christ revealed to them. And then, and then, then we might be able to ask God with expectancy to keep the promise to not bring war to our land. And I'm not saying I want war, but I am saying I want revival so much more. Wouldn't that be a gift? I mean, people in the kingdom, that's what actually matters. People saved, knowing who Jesus is, knowing the truth, seeing the truth, like Christ revealed to them, that's what really, really matters. So that's my passion. I'm pretty sure it's probably the passion of so many American Christians as well. We want our country to be changed, but not on a surface level, like real heart change. That's what changes a nation, and that's what impacts the world. Here we also find a promised blessing on the family unit. This is encouraging for so many of us. You know, it's a good thing to believe God for his very best for your family. And when your kiddos are younger and they're still at home, I want to encourage you, pray boldly and live biblically. Parent biblically. 
expect God to keep his promises. And there are promises about the family in the Bible. You can pray and ask him to do what he said he would do and believe that he will. There's so much encouragement for us as parents in the word of God. So if you're raising young children, ask boldly for all God's promises for the family to prove true for you. That's a big prayer. It can feel like a big prayer at times, but God is so good at keeping his promises. Let's be so good at believing him to keep his promises. In verse 10, we sort of touch on provision again, but it's like it's combined with a family blessing promise. If God gives you a large family, he's telling you he's going to provide. You're going to have like so much that it's like got to clear out the old last year's uh, stores in the barns so that we can uh, fit this year's. We, you won't even be able to use it all up. There'll be a new supply at your doorstep and you'll have to put the new in the storehouse. You won't run down to the bottom of the barrel kind of thing is what he's saying here. This is a beautiful promise. I think you could pray this in a variety of ways for your own life and your own family like this. Lord, we need some more provision to come in. Provision-wise, we need some more for our family. You blessed us with these children and you have entrusted them to us for a time. Help us to teach them your word, to remind them of your miracles, to speak about your miracles, as it says in Psalm 78, and to lean fully on the power of your Holy Spirit in our parenting. Give us all the provision we need financially, with even with just food, daily food, health care, with our, our home and home repairs and where we live and our cars, clothing, and celebrating special days like birthdays. Give us amply all that we need to raise them to know you and to love you and to be set apart to live fully for you. Even once they leave our home, may they live fully for you. That's kind of how I would pray after reading Leviticus 26 if my kids were still younger and at home. Um, you know, pray like God is hearing you because he is and pray like he is answering you because he wants to answer you. When we ask according to his word, that delights the Lord because we're in his word. And so we know his heart. And so we can pray prayers that honor him. Pray and trust to really solid spiritual disciplines for Christian living in times when the economy is rough. Yep. Society is pushy, pushy, pushy with things that are the exact opposite of what God wants for the people that he created. Pray and trust today and do it again tomorrow and keep on doing it. Verse 11, I will put my tent among you and I will never look at you with disgust. He really is God with us. He is our Emmanuel. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ, not through our own sinfulness. Our filthiness becomes like woolly white. God does not have to put his tent among us. And yet he does. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. This is a gift of magnitude we cannot possibly fully comprehend. We ought to be the most grateful, the most thankful, the most joyful people on this planet because God has put his tent among us. This is a big deal, a big deal. How blessed are we? You know what? We're crazy blessed. We're crazy blessed. It's so much blessing. We'd probably fall over and faint if we caught even a glimpse of what it looks like in the spiritual realm to have the Lord right here, right here. Has God not made great promises and then kept them all to his people? Rhetorical question. You bet he has. Verse 12. So I will live among you and be your God and you will be my people. Do you know that you are a child of God? Like know that you know. And has that knowing changed your thinking and changed your living? Children of God should live knowing how loved they are. They should love others well because they're secure in who they are due to the love of their father. Are you numbered among his people? If not, send me an email at my, just my name, janlbert at outlook.com, and we will have a conversation. Uh, if you are, 
thank you, Jesus. You're so loved. You're so very loved. God's love poured out on you is going to keep on pouring out on you in never ending measure. Live loved. I think if we could do that, we might just make real lasting, impactful change on the world around us, you know? Yeah, I'm going to skip down to verse 40. But if they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, the treacherous things they did to oppose me, I will oppose them and bring them into the lands of their enemies. Then if they humble their uncircumcised hearts and accept their guilt, I will remember my promise to Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. I will also remember the land. The land abandoned by them will enjoy its time to honor the Lord while it lies deserted without them. They must accept their guilt because they rejected my rules and looked at my laws with disgust. Even when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or look at them with disgust. I will not reject or cancel my promise to them because I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the promise to their ancestors. I brought them out of Egypt to be their God while nations looked on. I am the Lord. Now, when we sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness when we confess it. So says 1 John 1, nine. Be quick to confess when you need to. That old saying, keep short accounts with God, that's, a, that's good counsel right there. As quickly as you can, confess. Repentance, it's not a shameful thing. The devil wants us to feel like it's shameful when we repent. Like the altar call is somehow shameful. Everybody's looking at me. That's a lie. It's not shameful. It's a glorious rejoicing moment. It's a gift. It keeps us clean. You take a shower when you need to. And you ought to repent when you need to. And then get the promised blessing. God will not reject or cancel his promise to his people because he is the Lord our God. For our sake, oh man, how he loves us for our sake. This is amazing. He says for our sake, for our sake, he'll remember his promise. This is a beautiful thing. This is very personal. I want to encourage you. I've said this before, but I want to encourage you today. This is personal. Take it personally. He is your God today. He is your God today. The same God that brought them out of Egypt. Has he not brought you out of something? Some place that was bondage where you felt beat down, low, lost, forgotten, weary. Has he not brought you out? He is good at that. And he does it for each and every person who will turn to him and receive him as savior. He has heaped up these promises in the Bible for you because he's your God. He's piled them up as high as can be, but they're but a drop in the bucket compared to his love for you. I hope today that you can rest in that love, be at peace in his love, pray boldly with newfound faith because of God's love, and go to sleep tonight with ease, waking up refreshed and renewed due to the love that God has for you. Thank you so very much for listening today and remember the link for the homeschool summit. And also it's time to announce the giveaway winners. So here are the names, but I'm not like sharing first last names and all of that because I don't want to be unsafe or anything and have stuff out to the whole wide world. Uh, But check your DMS on Instagram or messenger on Facebook. If you hear like your first name. Okay. All right. I had a lot of prizes and a lot of winners. So hang with me while I go through them now. The winner of the ticket to the summer 2023 online prayer retreat is Kristen R. And I'm going to DM you. The winner of the Write the Word Cultivate Hope Journal is Haley K. Yay, Haley. The winner of the gift card to Abide Design Co. is Cherie J. But they have not been great about replying to my messages to actually purchase the gift card. So uh, there may be another place of your choosing, another small business gift card. I'm going to message you about all of that. Check your messages. 
The winner of the gift card to 12 Stone Art is Jennifer B. Yay! Check your DMs. The winners of the three copies of a 60-day prayer journal for parents are Courtney R. Yay! Alfredo P. Yay! And Stephanie W. Yay! I'm going to message each one of you. The three winners of the all-access pass to the Psalm 91 course are Marco R., Meow Kitty, that's her Instagram name, by the way, and Jen H. So check your messages for that info. The winners of a gift card to the coffee shop of their choice are, there are three of those, Terry, congratulations, Lynn H., congratulations, and Sarah, yay, I'm going to be in touch about that. And drum roll, please. The winner of the Amazon gift card is Gwen C. Woohoo! Congrats, Gwen. Okay, please check your messages. And um, that's all these th- gifts are going to be, they're going to be on their way to you soon. I'll get some shipping info, all that jazz, your email to where I can send you the Amazon gift card, Gwen. Check your messages. I'll be in touch soon. And I will probably, if I don't hear from you right away, I'll circle back and be in touch again and again to try and just make sure we connect. Thank you so much for the support with the new podcast, The Prayer Podcast with Jan Elbert, and for celebrating the milestone of 150 episodes of this podcast. It was a really good time to pause and reflect and thank God for allowing me to even get to do this at all for even one episode is a gift. So um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of getting the promises of God into the people of God. They're for you. So believe them, believe them big, believe them fully. Believe with everything you've got today, then do it again tomorrow. Okay, now don't forget that God's promises, they're not, they're not, um, they don't have an expiration date. They're not like milk. They're true for you today, tomorrow, and always. I want to leave you with that. There's no expiration date on God's promises. They're true today, tomorrow, and always. And you don't have to wait until sometime down the road to have full access to them. You have access through Jesus by faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Luke 18, 8. I'm going to leave you with that today. All right. I'll see you next time as we take a look at the promise from the book of Numbers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. So glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day and remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.